Well, welcome to Progressive News Network on Blog Talk Radio, and I'm wishing everybody a wonderful Merry Christmas. And to those of you that celebrate Kwanzaa, Happy Kwanzaa, Happy Hanukkah on this last night of Hanukkah. But again, Merry Christmas because this is your one day. Um, I wasn't going, and I'm Janine Moloff, the producer and host of the show. You know, I I wasn't going to do a Christmas Day show. I thought inappropriate. People are celebrating. You know, show a little respect. And then I saw this one article. I was just kind of scrolling through, you know, on Facebook, looking for Christmas greetings and such. And then I saw this article, and it enraged me. And and I know rage isn't an appropriate emotion, you know, for Christmas Day, but we have to remember what Christmas Day is really supposed to be about, you know. Albeit I'm not a Christian, I'm a Jew, but my understanding is that we're celebrating the birth of this special child that whether you believe he's the son of God or not, does represent the epitome of kindness and compassion and, you know, the golden rule. So I saw this article And it reminded me that not everybody who claims to be a Christian actually practices Christianity as Jesus taught. Okay? So I had no time to get this out. It's a short show. I had no time to get out an advert. But what I wrote, the title of this is Christmas Morality and, yes, the GOP of Racism. It's Christmas Day today, and the GOP of white Christian nationalism has delivered in various ways that would make the pagans of ancient Rome proud. Overnight, Texas Governor Greg Abbott continued to authorize sending buses of migrants to Washington, D.C. to be ceremoniously dumped into the Arctic temperatures while dressed for a day at the beach. The fact that these migrants are people of color did not escape Governor Abbott. Why should it? After all, that was the plan. Ironically, Governor Abbott brags about being a devout Christian while conveniently ignoring the fact that the Savior he worships was also a man of color and, yes, dare I say it, an illegal immigrant. Governor Abbott and the GOP of Trump seriously needed a visit from the spirits that, you know, converted Scrooge. But frankly, uh, I think those efforts would be wasted. It is painfully clear the lesson which the lesson which Jesus taught, these lessons are wasted on these white Christian nationalists who have perverted what Christianity was supposed to be about, and that includes Governor Greg Abbott. It just does. And so I saw this report uh, in Alternet. Okay, I'm going to go to it right now. Because this is about the difference between, you know, these white Christian nationalists that are using the idea of Christianity as cover for their bigotries, as cover for their abuses. You know, these are people that believe in white Jesus as depicted not only by European, white European artists in the Middle Ages, but also by a specific advertising artists that created this image of, you know, Jesus with silky, blondish brown hair, blue eyes, pale skin, you know, like a 
kind of like a young Brad Pitt that was done in 1940. Okay, it perverts the message because, again, Jesus didn't look like that. I mean, there's no description of him in the Bible, but, you know, the chances are that Jesus really was a man of color who was a Jew, period. So, but these people, these white Christian nationalists, believe in white Jesus and all the privilege that conveys. Keep in mind, we only have an hour, and I really put this slap this together quickly, like in the last, oh gosh, maybe hour and a half. Anyway, so I went to Alternet, and there was a piece written by David Badash of the New Civil Rights Movement, and it was published today. And it's an opinion, an op-ed, editorial, if you will, and the headline reads, in uh, quotes, Christian, like, you know, alleged, in other words, Christian Greg Abbott celebrates Christmas by busting asylum seekers into frigid Washington, D.C. Keep in mind, we're in the middle of this cold snap that's supposed to be a once-in-a-generation weather event. All right? And in these frigid temperatures, you can, you know, maybe the temperature is 10 degrees above zero with a wind chill of 35 below, you can come down with serious frostbite in like 10 minutes. And a lot of these uh, migrants, I see it in a picture right now, are wearing short sleeve shirts, a few in shorts, because again, they went from Texas to Washington, D.C. And, you know, here you have at the same time, while Greg Abbott is sending them into the cold uh, without proper clothing or anything, he's bragging, you know, about how he's so religious. In fact, according to this article written by, Dave, by um, David Badash, uh, Greg Abbott declared in 2017 that, quote, and I'm going to use this Texas accent, religion and faith has, uh, has been part of my life from my very beginning, adding, if the core of your life is God-centered, then everything is going to work out just fine, end quote. Well, and then Abbott in 18 said, quote, I am a Christian. I've committed my life to ensuring justice. I come in peace, end quote. Really? But it doesn't take a, a brain surgeon to figure out that these were migrants of color, okay, low income, and the reason that they were basically kicked out was because they were people of color. Now, keep in mind, reflect that with the, the actual um, comparison, if you will, or the parallel. That's what it is. The parallel to the Christmas story when Mary's about to give birth. Mary and Joseph were turned away from every little bit of shelter. There was no room at the inn. Until finally they found a manger. The animals didn't kick her out. Boy, doesn't Greg Abbott sound a lot like the the Romans that wouldn't even give a pregnant woman a place to give birth? Okay. So, you know, this is basically what happened. Uh, just in the last 24 hours, I think, is what it was, um... Greg Abbott sent, the governor of Texas, sent three buses, quote, according to this article here, um, well, I'm going to read the, I'm going to read the quote. Uh, after Abbott kept claiming he's a good Christian, uh, Badash wrote, quote, none of that was on display when Governor Abbott, ignoring the most basic tenets of his faith, sent three buses of asylum-seeking immigrants from the Lone Star State 
to Washington, D.C. They arrived in front of Vice President Kamala Harris's official residence late at night on Christmas Eve as a local ABC News affiliate reports when the temperature reportedly was just 14 degrees, end quote. Okay. And then here we have a report, a tweet actually from the managing producer, from a managing producer at CNN, whose name is Noah Gray. And he shared the clip of the asylum seekers that were arriving in D.C. from Texas. The only thing they had to kind of protect themselves from the Arctic blast were these really thin blankets. All right. Uh, He wrote, quote, Another bus just arrived outside at VP residence. One man tells me that he traveled two days from Texas and he came from Ecuador. He said he was happy to be here. Bus includes children and women moved to another bus by aid workers on ground after standing outside briefly in 14 degrees, end quote. There's more. Uh, ABC, knows, ABC News noted, quote, some migrants could be seen wearing only sweatshirts, with one man even wearing shorts as temperatures dipped in the teens Saturday night, uh, end quote. And it added, also, ABC News also added that some of the immigrants, quote, were seen without adequate winter clothes, end quote. Uh, it also goes on to say they quoted uh, and spoke to a core organizer with the Migrant Solidarity Mutual Aid Network, uh, her name's Amy Fisher, and she told ABC News that it, quote, really does show the cruelty behind Governor Abbott and his insistence on continuing to bus people here without care about people arriving late at night on Christmas Eve when the weather is so cold. People are getting off the buses. They don't have coats. They don't close for this kind of weather, and they're freezing, end quote. Uh, apparently, and then furthermore, um, let me see now, Gray. I lost my place here, folks. I'm sorry. I put this together very quickly. So Noah Gray, who is an ABC, no, a CNN producer, excuse me, also added that um, that Fisher, Amy Fisher, this organizer with Migrant Solidarity Mutual Aid Network, uh, told him Governor Abbott sent the buses, which were originally headed for New York. Okay. Uh, Fox News noted, quote, the Christmas Eve drop-off is the latest of several instances in which Texas Governor Greg Abbott has bused migrants to Washington, D.C., end quote. So there's a bunch of quotes here. We're just going to go through them. Um, You also have Ray Wirt, who was formerly a journalist, is is also married to Michigan State Senator uh, Mallory McMorrow, who was quoted saying, quote, so Greg Abbott is saying there's no room at the end of Christmas. If Abbott had been the Bethlehem innkeeper, Mary would have given birth on the side of the road, end quote. It's true. Uh, let's see now. There was an opinion. Texas Signal um, there has a features and opinion editor named Jessica Montoya Coggins, who also said, quote, nothing will encapsulate Greg Abbott's version of Christianity better and him sending busloads of refugees away and into the freezing cold, cold end quote. Uh, and then this article shows just as he's cruelly sending these asylum seekers, you know, into dangerous Arctic temperatures without the slightest bit of, of you know, winter clothes, there's a tweet where he, sh- Greg Abbott shows this gorgeous mansion he lives in all decked out for Christmas, you know, 
and the tweet says, "'Twas the night before Christmas in Texas." You can see the grass is still green. So you know these people that were bussed out there, they were probably dressed for, you know, 60, 70-degree weather, and now they're in Arctic blasts without the, even a slight coat. This is truly no doubt about it. So, you know, I think that the media did cover this somewhat. The corporate media, it's not enough, though. You know, because this speaks to what does Greg Abbott, Governor Greg Abbott, mean when he says he's a Christian? You know, it's, it's a legitimate question. All right? And so I went to, because, again, I'm not Christian, and I went to another source, and this is World Vision, and it's a, you know, uh, basically a, a, an article where it says, what does the Bible say about refugees? Now, World Vision, so I'm going to go to this They're About Us thing, um, they are a global Christian humanitarian organization. I'm reading straight from their site. Um, quote, we partner with children, families, and their communities to reach their full potential by tackling the causes of poverty and injustice. Okay? This, their about section also says, quote, Jesus love at the center always. We're Christian, as in we follow Jesus' example to show unconditional love to the poor and oppressed, serving every child we can of any faith or none. Uh, so, you know, once again, learn more about uh, the Jesus we serve and how we share God's love in culturally sensitive ways. I like this group. You know, not being Christian, this is this is in the true spirit. You know, of what Jesus I I believe really taught. Um, and it goes on to say they have a history of taking action, even if it wasn't popular. Um, apparently, this group started in the 1950s, uh, helping one little girl, Bob Pierce had five dollars in his pocket that's how he started it in the 70s um this organization came to the aid of stranded vietnamese refugees with something called operation sea sweep in the 80s they were the first group in during the ethiopian famine and the last out uh in the 90s they challenged the church i'm reading straight from this uh to care about the aids crisis okay in the 2000s they re helped rebuild lives after the tsunami in Asia with, with short-term relief and long-term recovery. And now, today, they, quote, help more than 3.5 million children in nearly 100 countries. So this is the group. And so I went to their site. You know, what does the Bible say about refugees? And it isn't just Christianity. Judaism does, too. And that's what I like about this group. So they look both – they go to – chosen to live with the Jews in Israel, no matter what category they might represent in today's terms, end quote. And they talk about how the book of Ruth, you know, Ruth was from the tribe of Moab, and, you know, she accompanied her mother-in-law, Naomi, who was a Jew, and she lived there. And, um, you know, she's gleaning grain from the fields with her kinsman, Boaz, and she's asking, quote, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you noticed me a foreigner? Okay, because, you know, once again, we're taught that we must care for the foreigner. So today, strangers and sojourners, and according to this group, quote, sojourners are people who are temporarily uh, living in Israel, just traveling through the country. Today, strangers and sojourners, that's what the Bible calls them among which in today's terms will be considered, for instance, displaced persons. You know, people that have been forced 
to migrate because of maybe war or natural disaster, global climate devastation, they are running for their lives. Same with refugees. They've been forced to leave their nation, usually because of a some sort of violent um, violent action against different people or, you know, war, outright war. Migrants, people that sometimes choose to leave their country, usually to escape extreme, you know, poverty, maybe there's nothing to eat. Immigrants, similar to migrants, um, a variety of reasons for leaving. Asylum seekers, that's the people that Greg Abbott put on that bus cruelly were asylum seekers. And those are people, according to this group, quote, individuals who ask to live in another, in another country to escape severe religious or political persecution or another violation of their human rights. These people would not return home unless the reason for their move came to an end. End quote. You've got stateless persons. You've got visitors. So what does Jesus have to say about this on this day of his birth? Excuse me. Take a little drink of water here. Hmm. According to Matthew 25:35, quote, I was a stranger and you invited me in, end quote. And that's consistent with Middle Eastern culture. You know, Abraham, the father of two nations, you know, basically... Uh, Judaism and uh, the, basically the nation of let me start again founder of two nations both Jews and Muslims he invited angelic visitors into his tent and he gave them a lovely meal you know not knowing who they were uh, this was what we were supposed to do although that didn't always happen um, according to this group Jesus does follow the Old Testament pattern but he goes further all right um, by, you know, also saying that we, how we treat strangers, even people that don't believe the same as we do, really dictates whether or not you're truly following his teachings. Uh, the Old Testament, Exodus 23.9, quote, Do not oppress the foreigner. You yourselves know how it feels to be foreigners because you were foreigners in Egypt, end quote. Okay. It's right there. Um, Leviticus 19.34. You know, the idea that you should treat foreigners or refugees as citizens and with love. Uh, quote, the foreigners residing among you must be treated as native-born. Love them as yourself, for you are foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. End quote. Okay? We know that Jesus preached to love your neighbor as yourself. Okay? Uh, a lot of Christians aren't as familiar with the law of Moses that said the same thing. Okay. Um, so this is what this group has to say. Uh, Hebrews 13.1-2. Quote, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing that, some have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. End quote. Number one, Peter, I think it's 117, 1 colon 17. I don't know if I'm saying it correctly or not. Um, quote, live out your time as foreigners. Oh, I'm sorry, it says here, all believers are strangers on earth. Live out your time as foreigners here with reverent fear. 
Okay. Uh, Ephesians 2 colon or dash 19. I, I apologize if I'm saying it incorrectly. Um, it says, you know, it's talking about how all believers in Jesus belong to the kingdom of God. Quote, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. That's from Ephesians. Okay. So, you know, once again, what Governor Abbott did is in direct violation of true Christian teachings. And it's in true violation of just being a decent human being. But it is consistent with the white Christian nationalist narrative that says white Christians of a certain group should have privileges over the rest of us. And that's who, you know, Greg Abbott is pandering to, in my opinion. Okay? Now, it isn't just this, all right? You're looking at this, you see there is this, when I'm talking about white Christian nationalism, it's been called an imposter Christianity, all right? There was an analysis written by John Blake from CNN, and it was published July, this past July 24th, 2022. And again, the headline was, quote, an imposter Christianity is threatening American democracy. And this is talking not only about the white Christian nationalist movement, but their role in the January 6th insurrection. And it speaks about a report that they found from a combined team of clergy, scholars, and advocates. And it was sponsored by two groups that both advocate for continued separation of church and state. And these groups in this report concluded that the theology of white Christian nationalism it was used to, quote, bolster, justify, and intensify the attack on the U.S. Capitol, end quote. Um, and then that report, yeah, it's not only CNN, but there's a, a piece here by Religious Religion News Service. Um, and the headline is, New Report Details the Influence of Christian Nationalism on the Insurrection. So when I say white Christian nationalism, Christian nationalism, when they say Christian nationalism, it's implied that it's, you know, white supremacy. Um, and according to Amanda Tyler, head of the Baptist Joint Committee for Religious Liberty, um, quote, Christian nationalism, this is that quote, was used to bolster, justify, and intensify the January 6th attack on the Capitol, end quote. All right. And so, you know, this is coming from a, from a Baptist group here. And apparently this report... Um, the, the Baptist Joint Committee for Religious Liberty sponsored the report in conjunction with the Freedom from Religious Foundation. Um, so it was a Christian group in conjunction with a group that, I guess, pushes secularism. And, um, you know, Amanda Tyler's Baptist group is behind an initiative called Christians Against Christian Nationalism. All right. And why am I talking about this now? Because what Greg Abbott did when he took these migrants from Texas, where, again, the grass is still green, so the temperature, you might need a light jacket, and then cruelly bust them to Washington, D.C. in the middle of an Arctic blast with no prep at all, so they would just die in the, you know, in the winter cold, that's Greg Abbott 
pandering to Christian nationalists, all the while he's claiming and touting his own Christian credentials when he's nothing. He's, he's certainly not a Christian, not in the true sense of the word. Okay? Excuse me, let me get another drink of water here. Sorry, folks. Um, and this is really, it, you know, it's a 60-page study, or slightly over 60 pages. And this study features multiple reflections from various scholars, including Andrew Whitehead, who's an associate sociology professor at Indiana University, Purdue University. Uh, also the co-author of the report, Samuel L. Perry, who is also the author of Taking America Back for God, Christian Nationalism in the United States. And so Whitehead, one of the authors of this report, described Christian nationalism, quote, as a cultural framework bolstered by mutually reinforcing elements that spurred the violence at the Capitol, such as the QAnon movement and the erroneous belief that the 2020 presidential election was stolen from Donald Trump, end quote. This article, again, in religiousnews.com, um, goes on to say that, quote, uh, apparently Whitehead was uh, also backed up by Perry, and Perry is an associate professor of sociology at the University of Oklahoma, um, as well as the author of that book, and According to this quote, citing data drawn from their book and additional surveys conducted over the past year, Perry argued Christian nationalism not only fueled the capital attack, but it also is being used by some to radically reinterpret the January 6th attack in ways that obscure fact and even valorize participants. goes on to say Christian nationalism, quote, is a powerful motivator for future violence, end quote. Now, there were other contributors to this report, including the following. Journalist Catherine Stewart, who's an author of The Power Worshippers Inside the Dangerous Rise of Religious Nationalism. Um, and apparently Ms. Stewart argued that the capital attack, quote, is an expression of a broader, complex Christian nationalist network that trumpets, trumpets a right-wing agenda, end quote. Stewart was quoted as saying, Quote, Christian nationalism is first and foremost a political movement, end quote. Um, you also have Anthea Butler, who's the chair of the Department of Religious Studies at the University of Pennsylvania, also the author of a book called White Evangelical Racism, The Politics of Morality in America. And Butler was one of multiple authors that really did single out white Christian nationalism, which is more specific, and it really draws attention to the role of white supremacy in this movement. Okay? Butler wrote the following, quote, Slavery in America enabled white Christian nationalism by asserting that enslaved Africans were not human, in part by using scriptural justifications to support it, end quote. Okay? There's another author of the report, someone named Jamar Tisby. Now, Tisby is a historian and head of the Black Christian Collective, The Witness, and differentiated white Christian nationalism from popular forms of patriotism among black Americans 
that often stress concepts such as racial equality and voting rights. And then there was a press conference and Tisby said the following, that black Americans, quote, have understood their faith as motivating them toward a multiracial democracy, end quote. And it's true. Okay. Um, Tisby goes on to say that there was that there's a manufactured controversy. That, that's the phrase Tisby used, quote, manufactured controversy, quote, over critical race theory in schools, local governments, and church communities, uh, end quote, and that this this manufactured controversy over CRC is really part of this larger plan by Christian nationalists to, quote, use legitimate democratic processes and co-opt them to create their own version of a Christian America, end quote. And it's, it's very true. So these are the people that have perverted the very, very kind and lovely message that, you know, Jesus preached, which also came from Judaism. So now, what are we to do? Well, why don't we look at some real, what I consider real Christian, um, uh, what do you call it, principles, if you will. And I don't have to look any further than Reverend Barber and the Poor People's Campaign. Okay? Um, Reverend Barber is, as far as I'm concerned, an angel. Okay? I, I, I'm just going to say it. Um this gentleman who, you know, again, he along with, and I just lost my place, doggone it. All right, here we go. Um, he led this poor people's campaign in the spirit of Dr. King, along with Reverend, I think her name is Liz Theo Harris. And it really is a diverse group, of people from all religions, but Reverend Barber leads it. And, you know, in, I'd say the closest the legacy of Dr. King as we've seen in a long time. And the Poor People's Campaign is really based on a moral agenda of basic human rights. All right? It isn't about whether or not you're straight or gay or trans. It isn't about whether you're a Christian or a Jew or a Muslim or a Sikh or atheist, agnostic, whatever. It isn't about whether you're male or female or, you know, uh, it isn't about whether or not you're, if you are religious, whether or not you're fundamentalist or moderate or liberal. It has nothing to do with that. It's about your actions, not just your words. Okay. And it really is called the Poor People's Campaign, a national call for moral revival. And that's what it is. And there's a, a document that Reverend Barber includes in everything. There's two parts. One is the Declaration of Fundamental Rights and Poor People's Moral Agenda. And the other part is the history behind and moral justification for this moral agenda. So the Declaration of Fundamental Rights and the Poor People's Moral Agenda, again, this is consistent with the message of humanity and decency and kindness and compassion and fairness that Jesus preached. Okay? So one of the issues is systemic racism. And I know there's a lot of white people that think they're not racist because, you know, they have a black friend. Well, that's nice. But if you're blind to the unfair nature of our system, then, you know, 
you're blinded first, but then when you refuse to look into it further, then you're choosing to be morally blind, and that's on you. So there are, you know, again, things that have happened to uh, people of color that basically uh, leave them at greater disadvantage. That includes systemic voter suppression. You know, uh, when Trump said there's a problem with our electoral process, well, there is. But it's not because there was voter fraud. It's because there was systemic voter suppression that was sponsored by the GOP and sponsored by racists in the GOP. And according to this document, I'm just going to take a few things from it, quote, the truth is that when the democratic process and the right to vote are restricted, preempted, and nullified, our democracy is under attack. These attacks target people of color, especially the poor, youth, and elderly. But in doing so, they strip all of us, they strip, they strip us all of our constitutional protections. They allow extremists to get elected through voter suppression and racial gerrymandering, and then use their power to hurt people of all races. The truth is that this power has taken the form of xenophobia, Islamophobia, a fear of undocumented immigrants, and the continued oppression of First Nations, Native Americans, and Alaska Natives. And I would argue, I would add anti-Semitism to that as well. We have the right to vote and the right to accountable political representation. Immigrants of all backgrounds have the right to citizenship that will afford them a full right to vote and participate in our democracy. First Nations, Native Americans, and Alaska Natives have a right to their political and cultural institutions, lands, and resources. Okay. Another aspect of this document, the Declaration of Fundamental Rights and Poor People's Moral Agenda, first was systemic racism, then they addressed poverty and inequality. Okay. And it starts with this question, quote, did you know that while the U.S. economy has grown 18-fold in the past 50 years, wealth inequality has expanded, the costs of living have increased, and social programs have been restructured and cut dramatically? And it's very true. Okay. goes on to say, I'm skipping down here, quote, the truth is that the millions of poor people in the United States Today are poor because the wealth and resources of our country have been flowing to a small number of people and federal programs are not meeting the growing needs of the poor. A concern for ecological devastation. And the question is, did you know 13.8 million U.S. households cannot afford water? That just blows my mind. Uh, and the document goes on to say, quote, we have a fundamental right to clean water, air, and a healthy environment and public resources to monitor, analyze, and reverse the polluting impacts of fossil fuel industries. It goes on. Uh, they address war economy and militarism. The question they ask is this, quote, did you know that currently 53 cents of every federal discretionary dollar goes to military spending and only 15 cents is spent on anti-poverty programs? End quote. Unbelievable. The document laid further down says, quote, the truth is that instead of waging a war on poverty, we have been waging a war on the poor at home and abroad for the financial benefit of a few. It is morally indefensible to profit from perpetual war. We have the right to protect our communities from the ravages and weapons of war. This document also mentions national morality. 
The question is this. Did you know that thousands of people die every year from anti-poor policies while an extremist religious and Christian nationalist agenda deliberately diverts attention from the key issues and challenges facing the majority of Americans? Okay. Further down it says, quote, the truth is that a morality that claims to care for the souls of people while destroying their bodies and communities is deeply immoral. I have to read that one again. That, that says it perfectly. Quote, the truth is that a morality that claims to care for the souls of people while destroying their bodies and communities is deeply immoral. It goes on to say, quote, we have the right to ground our public policies and budget allocations in a moral narrative that prioritizes and follows our deepest religious and constitutional moral commitments to justice. It goes on and speaks about history and moral justification. And this lists some biblical references. Because remember, this is a national call for moral revival led by Christian Reverend Barber. This is from Isaiah 58. Quote, if you remove the yoke from among you, the pointing of the finger, the speaking of evil, if you offer your food to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the afflicted, then your light shall rise in the darkness and your gloom by like the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your needs in parched places and make your bones strong and you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters never fail. Your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets to live in. The Quran is cited as well, nine... Uh, colon 71, sorry if I'm saying this wrong, according to the Quran, quote, the believers, both men and women, are in charge of and responsible for one another. They all enjoin the doing of what is right and forbid the doing of what is wrong. Luke 4:18 and 19, quote, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Notice, to the poor, not to the rich. I'll go on. Quote, he has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And it's reflected in our Constitution. In those first, actually in our Declaration of Independence, those first sentences, quote, we hold these truths to be self-evident. In other words, these truths are so obvious you shouldn't even have to state them, but we do. Quote, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they're endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. That whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Okay, whether it was the founding fathers, whether it was Jesus, whether it was Moses, whether it was Muhammad, whatever, 
all of these quotes speak to this concept that I like to call fundamental fairness. You can't have people respect the law if the law is unjust. And in this instance, it's not just for men. You know, you have a lot of people that in fundamentalist type religions take everything literally. You know, it's not just all men are created equal. It's all persons, period. All persons, male, female, trans, gay, straight, bi. I'm probably forgetting some things. Native-born, foreign-born, Jew, Gentile, Muslim, Sikh, agnostic, atheist, all of them, Christian. Especially, I'm, I'm citing Reverend Barbara because today is Christmas. And especially on this day and this unusual year where Hanukkah, the last night of Hanukkah, falls on Christmas Day. I can't recall in my 63 years on this earth when that has ever happened before. When are we going to find our humanity, our decency? This isn't just about getting the perfect gift. It's about showing kindness and compassion and fairness and tolerance. Whether you like someone or not, whether you you don't have to like everybody. But yeah, we do have to play fair if the law is going to be just. You don't have to understand somebody else. You do have to show kindness if, yes, indeed, you're going to call yourself a good person. And especially today, if, yes, indeed, you're going to call yourself a true Christian. Because as far as I know, Jesus never preached hatred or intolerance. And this is what we're really talking about. And so when you look at what Greg Abbott did, and he's not the only one, but taking these migrants of color, these were not white people, taking these migrants of color, shoving them on a bus. They went from Texas, where the temperature 70-something, no coats, no gloves, nothing, some of them in summer weight clothes, and then dumped in Washington, D.C. in 14 degrees temperature. And I'm sure that the conservatives and the Republicans there think it's funny. That's how vile they've become. That is not the act of a Christian at all. Greg Abbott should hang his head in shame. But I'm sure these words are wasted on him. Because he is so firmly entrenched, in my opinion, in the evil that is racism, religious bigotry, misogyny, you name it but especially the evil of racism, where he sees people that aren't fully white as somehow less than human. You know, and I'm going to call out my own people as well, you know, fellow Jews. We have some in the liberal Jewish community that are anti-racist, and God bless them. But we have quite a few that are not, that have forgotten where they came from. They have forgotten that the reason Hitler basically targeted us wasn't just because of religious differences because we weren't viewed as fully white we were called by Hitler a mud race which means multiracial mixed not fully white 
And when Hitler wanted his plan for the concentration camps, leading eventually to the death camps, where did he look for inspiration? He looked to the Jim Crow South as well as Henry Ford. That's what he looked to. And when Hitler was gaining power, hmm, who was a political ally? Prescott Bush, a member of the Bush family, you know, George W. Bush. So don't give me this crap about compassionate, compassionate conservatism. Not until you call out what, Pres- what your ancestor Prescott Bush did. You know, there are liberals that decry and hate the idea that Israel, for instance, exists because of the crisis between, the political crisis between Israelis and Palestinians, without understanding the history of why Israel was created by the UN. It's because the same bigoted immigration policies that block migrants of color now block Jews at the end of World War II. Only so many Holocaust survivors were allowed in, even though they had all had relatives here. And that was because of the immigration law of 1924. So the majority of concentration camp survivors, some got to come to the United States, but quite a few of them were not allowed in. The quota had been maxed out. So their choice was, hmm, they couldn't remain where they were. It was either go to basically a wilderness in the Middle East and become farmers, even though these people knew nothing about farming, or drown in the ocean. Which was it? So when you're going to call out on a crisis, make sure you know the whole history about it. You know, the United States also has blood on its hands, and this isn't the first time. I'm not... I'm not making excuses for Governor Abbott, but this is not the first time that racism against people of color and other religious minorities has been used against them to deny them entrance, to dump them elsewhere, to die. So what Greg Abbott is doing, unfortunately, has done is actually a very old American tradition, unfortunately. So until we we don't have any business patting ourselves on the back, you know, we need to correct this. We need to understand that Greg Abbott's dumping migrants of color into the Arctic blast of D.C. without even decent clothes to just die is a very old American tradition. We need to own that and be truthful about it. And we need to hold Greg Abbott responsible. Not just Greg Abbott. We need to hold Ron DeSantis of Florida responsible. We need to hold Donald Trump responsible. You can believe in free speech. I believe in free speech. I don't believe in censorship. But free speech means that government can't censor. It doesn't mean that a person can incite anything they want. So, yeah, it means I have an equal right to condemn what neo-Nazi Nick Fuentes has to say, where he not only uh, talks against people of color and Jews, but also women. You know, Fuentes was bemoaning the other day the problem that, hmm, one, women shouldn't have the right to vote, according to Nick Fuentes, and you can just look, you can listen to his show, if you can stomach it, that is. But they should be burning women as witches again. I mean, this guy's truly Looney Tunes. And again, Donald Trump had dinner 
with Kanye West, now known as Ye, and Nick Fuentes. And he won't call them out. Understand, this is far beyond this. And on this Christmas Day, we need to tell the truth. We need to, yes, get in the face of relatives and friends who are refusing to condemn these injustices. We can't we can no longer just as the saying goes, go along to get along. And you know, President Biden talks about a return to civility. That we used to have civility in you know in different places. Well, you know, President Biden might mean well, but the fact is he is a privileged white Christian straight man who really doesn't get it. The civility that he thought existed in bygone you know, decades only existed because those of us that were the targets of white Christian males were outnumbered to the point we couldn't fight back very well. Now we're finally fighting back. And now they're screaming for civility. You know what? In Nazi society, when the camps were first starting, the concentration camps, there were aspects of Nazi society that were very civil. It doesn't make them moral. I don't want civility. I want I want kindness. I want compassion. I want equality for the law. Civility is used to mask when these things do not occur. Civility, more often than not, is a code word used to disguise injustice, to disguise uh racism and other forms of bigotry and the denial of equality under this civil, mannerful type venue. No, I disagree. I'm I'm on board for Reverend Barber. I just am. So again, on this Christmas Day, I thought not only did I need to shine a light on, you know, a horrible person like Greg Abbott. Okay, I, I thought Missouri was backwards. Texas is so much worse. But also on the fact that there are good people out there doing the right thing that are trying to fight for equality, and they are people in diverse groups from multiple religions or no religion at all because they're talking about fairness, equality in front of the law, compassion, and kindness. Okay, it doesn't matter what your pedigree is that you claim. And so that's why I threw together this last-minute show. And I do mean I threw it together. So if some of it's a little off the cuff, there's some times where I kind of take a long pause, that's why. Plus, I stutter sometimes. All right, so now we have a little few minutes left because I only allotted a um, – oh, darn it, won't let me do this. I can't get a hold of the – Brain Jackass, but I do want to award the Jackass of the Week Award. You know, so you're going to, again, my phone's not cooperating, so I can't access that Jackass brain, but you get the drift. And this week, the Jackass of the Year, of not the year, excuse me. We will have a Jackass of the Year Award next week for New Year's, most definitely. But this week, 
the Jackass of the Week Award. It'd be so easy to give it to Greg Abbott, but it isn't him. Goes to former Vice President Mike Pence. Because here, Mr. Pence's life was threatened on January 6th. The, the insurrectionists were all shrieking, hang Mike Pence. They had erected a gallows. And it was basically, you know, his liberal colleagues that helped shield him, that were worried about him. Nancy Pelosi was worried about him. And, you know, two years later, when Pence was asked about, you know, should criminal prosecution follow uh, Trump's role and some others, he's like, no, let's just look ahead, not backwards. Okay. That takes a very special jackass to be not only that incredibly stupid, because if these people could have gotten away with it, they would have they would have murdered the man. And they probably would have murdered his wife as well. And he still won't go after them. That takes a special type of cowardice. Not only is Mike Pence awarded the Jackass of the Week Award, he has the Jackass of the Week Award special shave tail edition, meaning he's too effing stupid to understand how stupid he really is and how cowardly he is. Notice I didn't say the F-bomb, I said effing because it is Christmas. So, anyway, that's our very quick slap together show for today. I had no intention of doing a Christmas show at all. Um, but when I saw what Greg Abbott had done, it made my blood boil. I wonder, you know, and again, people like him probably really believe that Jesus was a white man. And so when they treat people of color like dirt, it's okay because they think they're privileged. They love saying they're the chosen people, you know. When it's been said religiously that Jews are the chosen people, for instance, it doesn't mean chosen for special um, privilege. As people like, you know, like some Christians, uh, nationalists think. Uh, don't lie. Don't honor your mother and father. All that stuff. That's what the Jews were chosen for. And it was a difficult job. It wasn't chosen for privilege. It's the exact opposite. We were chosen for duty, for that very, very somber responsibility, and to stick with it no matter what is thrown at us. That's what we were chosen for. So anyway, I hope you learned something. If you get a chance, definitely go Google Poor People's Campaign for Moral Revival, that is, Reverend Barber, truly a phenomenal and wonderful person. If anyone, if anyone's deserving of a Nobel Peace Prize, it's Reverend Parker. Okay, he is my immense respect. And you know, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Happy Kwanzaa, whatever you celebrate. May the following year bring you great joy, and hopefully, new renewed vision for the truth and for justice and fairness. And then keep in mind, New Year's, we're going to have a very special award. It, will no lo- it won't be the Jackass of the Week. It will be the Jackass of the Year. And I'm sure we'll, I will find a very special Jackass. So with that, I say good night. 
God bless whatever you believe. And to my Christian brothers and sisters, Merry Christmas.